If you'd open in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, I'll go ahead and let you know over the next few weeks we're going to be going back and forth between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Um, They're just different things within the context of these passages that I want us to look at, and um, I want us to look at them more in-depthly so I'm not just giving you, well in some ways I am, I'm kind of giving you in some ways broad sweeping things and then I'm giving specific and then we'll come back and look at some broad sweeping things and get specific and we'll continue to, to do that over the next few weeks as we consider um, these very important truths mm-hmm. which are, are at the very beginning of the scriptures which obviously set a tone for what the rest of scripture is seeking to communicate to us. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, we do thank you and praise you and worship you this morning. Lord, this is your word. We ask that you would do mighty things with it. It is powerful. It is able to cut through to the very souls of men, to the very innermost parts of their hearts. It is able to transform the core values, the presuppositions, the motivational structure of the heart, Lord. And we pray that even today it would do its work. Through this crooked stick, would you strike a straight blow, Lord? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would look with me then, uh, we'll read from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, and then we'll look at verses or chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. So would you stand with me as we give honor to God's holy word. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then in chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, And there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Please be seated. Now what I want us to look at today is the idea of the true humanity that you can you could have said something one commentator talks about the true image the reality is is that there's several things i want us to consider and and uh for those of you that have been um coming to our christian education hour uh some of this will be repeat and i already warned you when i did it that you were going to hear some more of it um as we work through genesis but it's important and i think just the sheer fact that as we're studying judges and how to live in a pluralistic society in the Christian education time and the fact that we're looking at Genesis proper, we realize that no matter where we go in the Bible, these things loom large. To be ignorant of these things is to actually not truly understand the whole of Scripture. And so what I want us to begin to think about is 
the reality of God making man in his image, God making humanity. The first thing I want you to think about is this. In Genesis chapter 1, we, make, we move, and we've talked about this a little bit, there's movement that continues to move and move and move. God keeps creating, keeps creating, keeps creating, until finally he gets to the end of the creation. And it's as if he is building block upon block upon block upon block, and finally he comes to the capstone. And it's man. And he says, the pinnacle of creation is man. That somehow if you miss man, you really don't understand the creation. Now think about what that tells us about ourselves. Just begin to think about that. What, what does that make you think about yourself? God created a world and continued to fit it and to fill it, to fill up its emptiness, to form its voidness, so that human beings could live here. That's what it amounts to. The world was made for human beings. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know how many of you are into outdoor nature type things, but um, I was really big into backpacking when I first graduated from college. And I went backpacking all the time. And obviously, being a backpacker and being very interested in not doing damage to the trails and all those kind of things, you start to run into a whole lot of folks who have a very interesting view of the world and themselves in it. And see, what Genesis 1 begins to tell us is this, that we're not here as some anomaly in this great evolutionary chain of events. And, you know, if we disappeared, it'd be no big deal. The earth would just continue to mutate into whatever else it's going to mutate. In. And, in fact, some people would go so far to say, we're the world's biggest problems. And while that may be true, the reason why they think it's true is, is wrong. We are the world's biggest problem, but not the why they think so. The thing I want you to realize is that God says creation matters because it was made for us. A habitation was made for us. The second thing I want us to realize is Genesis chapter 2 has a different angle on the subject matter. And what Genesis chapter 2 is, is that while it's not saying man's the pinnacle, it says man is central to the creation. That everything in the creation revolves around human beings. I don't mean revolves around us as, as in the sense of we're the deity. That's not what I mean by that. It's more in the sense of think about the planets as they revolve around the sun. The sun's not the deity. It's a created entity, but it's certainly the gravitational pull of it and, and the, what it does, we're dependent upon it. What God is saying in Genesis chapter 2 is I made the created world and human beings are necessary. Again, look at how that strikes against a whole wing of our world's ideology. That somehow man really is unnecessary. So much so that for those of you that have been involved in various things, I mean, I can still remember reading in magazines and being scolded because I buried an apple core in the ground in a, in a, a mountain region. And of course, apples aren't indigenous to that area. And I was doing great harm to all the critters there. We weren't supposed to go to the bathroom in the woods because that would do great harm to the critters there. And what I'm trying to say is not that we should be abusive, and we'll talk about this down the road towards creation, but what I'm trying to get you to understand is, is that human beings are supposed to be in the woods. 
They're supposed to be in the mountains. They're supposed to be in the canyons. They're supposed to be all over this planet. That's what the Bible says. This planet is not about this planet. This planet was made for human beings. Now, we need to understand that because if we get that, we start to see some very important things, and that's what I want us to begin to look at. The first point I want us to look at this morning is the creation of humanity. I want us to think about how we were made. The first thing I want us to recognize, and we realize this, and I'm not saying anything that you didn't just read in the text, but sometimes those obvious points are ones that we don't lay hold of very easily. And the first thing is that we were made by God. We weren't just some mutation. We were made by God. He, he specifically cared about human beings. We're not just some random thing that happened on this planet. God was very careful to make us. Now, the thing we have to realize in this is one of the things that's really important that God made us is, is that we're not gods. And that, again, may sound like it's a no-brainer, but the pro- our biggest problem is, is that most of the time we walk around dealing with the fact that we think we are. How dare that person cut me off in traffic? How dare that teller ask for my ID when I've been coming to this bank for the last 15 years? Who does she think she is? How dare that doctor take more than 10 minutes to get back to me when I'm sitting here waiting on him? What does he think he's doing? Now, you might say, oh, well, those are kind of ridiculous. But what is that telling us about how we think about ourselves? What we our expectations are of how other people should treat us. So the point is, is that if you really start to get a hold of this, that you were made by God, then that means that other people around you were what? You could say that. Made by God. Which means the teller, the doctor, and even that poor soul that's in too big a hurry for their own good that cut you off in traffic, all... If you, could, if you could look at the label, it'd say, made by God. And that's important for us. Because, see, we need to understand that when we look at other human beings, they were made by God. And therefore, they matter. They matter to God, and therefore, they ought to matter to us. So the first thing we need to think about is that God made human beings. The other thing I want us to think about is this. Since he made us, there's the distinction between him and us. What some theologians have called the creator-creature distinction. And what I want you to think about in that regard is this. is not just that we're not gods, but also the fact is, is that he has a right to communicate to us the way things are. That he has a right to say, this is what the world was made for. This is what you were made for. This is how you're supposed to operate. He has a right to do that. Why? Because he made you. He created you. You didn't make yourself, and you weren't just a random choice in in the big slush pool of ooze gazillions of years ago. Therefore, you matter. And therefore, you're also distinct from him, which also means that he doesn't have to explain himself to you. 
And see, I think that's a huge thing that we have to come to terms with men and women is this, that if there really is a distinction between God and ourselves, He does not owe us an explanation. And most of us live our lives underneath the surface saying, how dare He not explain to me why these things are happening? Why I'm sick again? Why my work went this way and not that way? He doesn't owe us an explanation. And we need to come to terms with that. And oftentimes, what our biggest problems in life are related to is the fact that we are mad because, again, you see what I'm saying? We forget that He's the Creator, not us. He's God, not us. One of my favorite lines in any movie is from the movie Rudy. There's this great line where Rudy walks in and he's been trying and trying and trying. For those of you who don't know, Rudy Rudiger wanted to go to Notre Dame more than anything else in life. I mean, that was his great... Why, I don't know, but he wanted to go to Notre Dame. He wanted to wear a gold helmet. And he was trying and trying and trying to get in, trying to get his grades up, trying to play football, trying to, trying to do all that he could because he wanted to play football there. He just wanted to be a somebody. He wanted to matter, and that really is why he wanted to go there. It was everything to his family. And Rudy was basically... I think he was into his second year of college, and it wasn't looking. And he got another rejection letter from Notre Dame, and he thought, I'm just never going to get into Notre Dame. And so he goes and talks to the Catholic priest there in his church, and he says, Father, I just don't understand. Am I ever going to get into Notre Dame, or should I just quit pursuing this dream? And the priest looks at Rudy and says, Rudy, I've been studying theology for 30 years. And there's two things I can say for certain. There is a God, and I'm not Him. (laughs) Now, that sounds very simple, but I want you to think about this. That is often where human beings struggle the most, is that there is a God, and we're not Him. But one of the things we need to understand in the creation of humanity is, is that God made us. The other thing I want us to re- realize this is that God is central and comprehensive in our lives. Understand what that means saying God made us, says to us, is that God is not, listen to what I want to say here, is not relegated to the sidelines of history, of life. You may try to relegate him to the sidelines in your own mind. But the reality is, is he's central to the whole working of creation. He is central to your life, whether you acknowledge it or not. Now, again, think about how that begins to transform us. Rather than having a theology which says, well, do you have God as central in your life? The real question is, are you willing to recognize that God is central? Not, is God central? Because none of you could breathe if it wasn't for God. None of you could move if it wasn't for God. None of you could have a job if it wasn't for God. And that means every single human being on this planet, whether they admit it or not, is utterly and completely needy of God. And isn't that what the Apostle Paul says when he says we we move and have our very being within him? That whole point is is that God is comprehensively involved in the life of humanity. And our problem is not... Jesus does not have a problem being the king 
We have a problem when we don't recognize him as the king. That's the problem. And so we need to come to terms with the fact that God made us. We need to recognize that that is profound and it should lead us to some very clear conclusions as human beings. The second thing I want us to notice is, is that Genesis chapter 2 tells us that we were made from the earth. Now the fact that we were made by God and we were made distinct from all the other animals on the planet is a sense of loftiness. But the fact that we were made of the earth, we're made of the same stuff as all the critters around us. Because God made the critters out of the dust of the ground. He made us out of the dust of the ground. He formed us. He did something unique to us. But the thing is, is that this planet is your stuff. This planet should matter to you in some significant ways because it's your stuff. You are this planet. You are corporeal. You are physical. And so the reality here for us to think about is, is that we should have a humble status as to our place within this world. Not an arrogant and haughty status, but a humble status. Adam was a man of the dust. And we're all his children. And we're people of the dust as well. And as I just said, it also teaches us that God cares about our physical bodies. It also means that he cares about what we do with our physical bodies. What we do matters. You can't just say, well, you know, I really feel warm and fuzzy about God, and I think very lofty and very high about God, but I'm just going to go do whatever I'm pretty much pleased to do. And Do you understand that, that ultimately you could say, well, you don't think very high of God, but I'm just saying to you that, that what you do has to be a reflection of what you say you believe, but what you do actually matters no matter what you believe. I mean, understand this. At the end of the age, Jesus is very serious when he says, all people who have done all these things will be judged for all the things they've done. What you do matters. You will be judged for it. It, it, it is not irrelevant. God's not indifferent to your choices. They matter. And part of how we know that is, is that God made us of the earth. He made us physical beings, which meant we could operate physically. Our hands could do good or evil. Our eyes could look at good or evil. Our mouths can speak good or evil. What we do matters. And part of how we begin to deal with that is to have an understanding of the humble status we are as people of the dust. The last thing I want us to look at here as we think about the creation of humanity is that God made us male and female. What does that, what does that lead us to? Well, the first thing I want you to think about is this. Gender matters. In a society and in a culture, and we're not the first culture to do this, that wants to basically just almost say gender is irrelevant, that gender is merely about your physical body, and that's it, and the ability to procreate, and that's all it, all it amounts to, and really what you are and what you're like and how you operate. There's just not truth to that. Women are women, and while there is a lot of similarity between men and women, which often in Christian circles is denied, we, all, we want to make such a radical distinction from the culture that we act like men and women are from, you know, men are from Mars and women are from Venus, and I'd say, no, we're both from planet Earth. We both come from planet Earth. And in fact... Women were made out of man. God takes a rib out of Adam and forms the woman. So there's a lot of commonality between us. And one of the things I used to 
belabor to my students at college is one of the great realities of living in a sinful world is the fact that men and women find themselves living in more of a Harry Met Sally mentality. And that is, I'll tell you for those of you that have never seen that movie, what I mean by that is when Harry Met Sally, the whole premise of this movie is the fact that anytime a man and a woman get into a relationship with one another, one of them is always wanting to move towards a sexual encounter. And I want to say to you that that is not the way God meant it to be from the beginning. Men and women are supposed to be able to be friends and to care about one another and to grow in mutual submission to the Lord. Because if that's not true, then what hope is there for singles? See, the reality is, is, that, is that there are single people in every church, in every place, and it's not just because they're bad, wicked sinners and don't want to get married. Some of them may be in sin because they don't want to get married because they're being childish and juvenile. That all may be true. But the reality is, is that People who are single are valuable and important. And what this tells us is that as a woman, as a single woman, you have value. You bear the image of God. As a single man, you have value and you bear the image of God. And the whole congregation of faith needs both men and women, married and unmarried alike. The other reason why I say this has to be important to us is what do you do with people who are widowed? They matter. Their input into the life of of a community matters. And so part of how they matter, though, is the fact that men bring certain things to the table. Women bring certain things to the table. And God has given them certain functions to fulfill, and he made them in such a way as to be able to fulfill them when they are looking to him and seeking to do his will. The other thing I want to say is, in a, in, a, in a culture that, and this is how we begin to speak, and I want you to understand this, we can speak into people. There are a whole lot of people right now, and if you don't ever watch TV or you don't ever watch any of the Discovery Channel shows and things like that, you may be indifferent to this, or you may never have run into people like this at work. But, you know, this whole issue of, of transgender and all the things that are, are all over our culture, they're everywhere. And while it may not be something that really affects you directly, maybe in Tucson, Arizona, there are big places where this is a huge issue. People spend gazillions of dollars somehow trying to get their outward sexual orientation to match what they believe in their heads and believe in their hearts they were supposed to be. Somebody made a big mistake. And what this speaks to is says this, psychology is not all you are. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Your mind is not all you are. You are a physical being. You were made male or female. And God doesn't make mistakes, even if you feel he did. Now, understand how that begins to enable us to have compassion towards people who genuinely feel like they're in the wrong body. I just feel, I mean, you know, we we laugh about that song by Shania Twain when she's sitting there singing. She says, man, I feel like a woman. But the point is that she's making this whole play off of it and this whole societal issue. She's making a joke, but it's not funny at all. Imagine if you woke up one morning, you're seven or eight or nine or ten years old, and you thought, I really think I should have been a guy. And I'm stuck with all these women and my body's changing and all these things are happening. And what's going on? 
And see, our tendency is to want to dismiss those people and say they're loony or they're wicked, vile sinners. And, and there's no doubt they're wicked, vile sinners, but so are you. Somehow we have to be able to speak into those people's lives and their confusion and their frustration and their struggle. Part of what does it is really believing that God made us male and female and there's a reason why. And it also maybe stretches us in some ways to not be so confining to what that must look like. Because there are some women that just have a strong personality. It's not just because they're being rebellious. It's because that's how God made them. And there's some men who just aren't Mr. Go-Getter going to go out there and win one for the Gipper. I mean, that's just not who they are. They're just never going to get excited about a football game, and that's not because they're weird or sissy or namby-pamby. <laughs> See, that's not true. So there's a sense in which we need to own masculinity and femininity as pointing us to God. Do people's character point us to God? Do their outward activities Point us to God. See, made by God to image God. The last thing I want to say to you is this, and this is what it should say to all of you, and I especially want to talk to teenage girls and college-age girls because that's often where this is struggling, although guys are struggling with this more and more as well. What this tells you is that God didn't make junk. In a world that is consumed with changing our bodies, liposuction and enhancements left and right and getting rid of this and adding this. And I've even seen this guy, um, I was watching this, I just was astounded at this guy having calf implants. <laughs> I just, sorry, I'm just, I'm just desperately confused. What I want you to understand is, is that again, we need to be people who really do believe and embody the fact that God didn't make junk. God made us and we're valuable and we matter. And in, in a culture that is, is more and more pressing our girls to somehow fit into a very distinct contextual model, we have to stand up and say, God made us male and female. Not buff and sexy. That's not what it says. It says male and female. And somehow we have to speak to that. That doesn't mean we shouldn't care about our health. It doesn't, all those things matter. But I'm saying that that's what needs to matter most. Male and female. And how are we helping one another be male and female to the glory of God? And that's the first thing I want us to look at. The second thing is the call of humanity. Humanity was called to do three things. This idea of imaging God. Let me just say this on the front end. No theologian worth his salt will say, now this is what it means to be in the image of God. They will say, here are some ideas around what that looks like, but none of us really know emphatically with precision, this is the image of God. It's kind of like that you kind of see it and you know it's there. It's kind of like the wind. You see the effects of it. You see the realities of it. But to say that this is the crucial thing. We just know we're made in the image of God. We need to accept that and realize that that has certain outward expressions without trying to get so wrapped up into what exactly is the image of God in us. So man was made to reflect God. How does he reflect God? He thinks. Well, at least he's supposed to. We know that sometimes we aren't so sure people are thinking, but we're supposed to think. We're supposed to make choices. Man's able to choose. Man's able to love. Man's able to be creative. 
man is able to glorify. You realize those are all things that in some sense God does. Although I will say this, I'll caveat with this. God doesn't think God knows. That kind of should blow your mind a little bit just, just to think about that. Just think that God never thinks. He just knows. Whatever the subject matter is that you have to roll your Rolodex or press your palm to bring up, it just, it's just God knows. He just knows. All the time. Everything. Now, if you really try and wrap your head around that, it'll explode. Because, you know, just think about this. God's not calling up information. It's just there. He doesn't have a brain. It's just it, he is where knowledge and truth exist. And so the reality is, is that he doesn't think. But we are imaged after God in the sense that we are able to be a compository of knowledge and information. And we're able to make choices based on those things. We're able to love based on those things. We're able to be creative and to glorify God. The second thing I want us to look at under the call of humanity is we were made to represent God. We represent God to the created order. We've been talking about this, but I want to come back and remind us. We represent God. When you walk outside, I want you to think about this. Catalina Mountains, I'm here to tell you that God is awesome. Now, the Catalina Mountains are going to sing back to you, God is awesome. When you walk into the forest, you need to tell the trees, God is awesome. Because the trees are going to clap their hands and tell you, God is awesome. But we're supposed to understand that we represent God to the creation. And if you think about that, that doesn't mean the creation is alive in the sense of, you know, you're hurting Mother Earth. It just means that what you do in the creative world matters because you're the person that's supposed to set the tone for we're worshiping God. And all this stuff is given for you to watch over and care for, but you are to represent God to it. How would God treat his planet? How would God operate in the world? We're also to represent God to one another. Again, understand the implications of that. My personal activities and choices either do or do not represent God to other people. Either does or it doesn't. We don't have any middle ground there. I'm, I'm having to wrestle with that and think through it. The last thing I want us to realize in this section here is we were made to relate to God. Our vertical relationship to God, personally and collectively, is first. Understand, man was made to relate to God as a group and as individuals. That's what we were made for. Everything else we do, all our other relationships, are underneath our relationship to God. We were made for God first. And this is why if that one gets out of kilter, everything else tends to not go the way it ought to go. We were made for him first. The other thing I want you to realize is the great privilege is no other creature is able to relate to God the way we do. No other creature. No other creature has the ability to relate to God as we do. So, a point we need to take away from that is we're to respect the image of God. It matters. Now then, the third thing I want us to look at here and begin to think about is this. I realize that's been like we're sitting in class, and great, Dennis, thank you for helping us along with all these nice truths. And We've now got things to go home and rattle around in our brain, but I really want us to think about why this matters to us. What is the condition of humanity? It's the third thing I want to consider today. What's the condition of humanity? 
Are people humble? No, they're arrogant. They're full of themselves. Or they're self-pitying, which is just the backside of arrogance. As I've said before, and I'll say it again, or remind us again, arrogance is saying, I'm worthy. Self-pitying is saying, why doesn't anybody recognize I'm worthy? They both are a wrong understanding of ourselves. Um, so we have arrogance and self-pity. We have people that are sexually deviant and confused, don't we? Men and women, if you were to really have conversations with one another openly and honestly, I'm talking about every one of you, you would find that in the present state of where people's minds are on any given day would blow your brains. You would die to think two things. One, I can't believe that person thinks that way, and oh no, I can't believe they saw that I think that way, or think some other way, which is just as deviant as the way they think. See, if we don't start to really understand the fact that this is the condition of humanity, if we don't really understand that there is problems in how people are processing, and there's not problems with how we process, of what help or hope can we be? We can't. And the flat-out fact is, is that oftentimes we can't even understand this in ourselves. The other thing I want us to notice is, is that people are abusive and murderous. And I'm not just talking about child abusers, and I'm not just talking about people that blow their family away or blow their neighbors away. Jesus doesn't seem to talk like that, does he, in the Sermon on the Mount? If you hate your brother, if you say, you idiot, you fool, you've committed murder. I just want you to think about this. Every time somebody does something to you that underneath your breath you go, that idiot. What a moron. What a fool. What a buffoon. What a loser. If every time you said that, that person dropped dead, do you think you'd maybe get a little better picture of what Jesus was trying to say? Because that's what Jesus was saying. Every time you say that in your heart, you murdered them in your heart. And every time you say something out loud to somebody in a critical, hurtful, abusive way, you just, you just stole something from them. You just crushed something in them. And see, we need to understand that this is what's happening, and this is the real condition of humanity. We abuse one another. We murder one another. We have wrong thoughts, deviant thoughts about one another. We're confused about ourselves. We're arrogant. We're self-pitying. And see, if we're really honest, the first two points I tried to make about this is what God made us to be like, to reflect, to represent, to relate, and this is the mess we're in. And even though we, we know and you, you know that Jesus has stepped into to the world and we know that he's doing things and we know that there's hope as Christians. We know that. The reality is, is that for some of us, that's even disheartening because the fact that we keep walking in faith and believing that Jesus is able to do these things and still seeing ourselves as abusive and murderous and arrogant and self-pitying and confused is overwhelming to us. And that's really where I want to talk to you about. I want to say, look, here is the reality of what God created humanity to look like. And I want you to see, for starters, how far we've fallen. How ugly it really looks. I don't want to sugarcoat it. I don't want us as Christians to have this, 
well, you know, things aren't really that. No, they're terrible. They're worse than you can imagine. And you need to believe that because in your own heart, you know it to be true. You know your lack. You know your failures. You know your frustrations. And if you can't admit that to yourself, how will you ever deal with it? You won't. You can't. And what I'm trying to get you to understand is, is that what God is doing in Genesis is basically saying to humanity, do you see the image you were made to be? And do you understand your hurt, your pain, and your loss when you look at who you are, when you look at your relationships, when you look at how you operate? Do you see the problem? Because there's a huge one. It's glaring and you've got no real answers. Society knows it. This is why we're in a late modern, postmodern, what difference does it make world. It's because society is coming to a place where they realize there really is no purpose. If we weren't made by anything, what difference does it make? There is no hope. There is no cure. Just do whatever you can to get by. The problem is, is that that doesn't sit well with humanity either because we know we were made for more than just sitting by. And for most of us, we know it when we watch great movies or we read great books and we read about adventure and we read about history and we're captivated by those things. Our hearts well up and we go, yes, I was made for something bigger and better than this and I have no ability to reach it, no matter how hard I try. No matter how hard I try, I fail and come up short. And if you can grab hold of that, then you begin to see something beautiful. Then you begin to have hope in the midst of it. Because you have to come. And I'm saying even as Christians, men and women, you have to come to a place where you say, if I keep depending on myself, I'm going to fail myself. And I'm not so much talking right now about whether or not you're going to be in heaven or not. I'm more talking about how you live in preparation for heaven and why heaven would even matter to you. Because see, in some sense, if you have no hope now, why do you think it's going to be better then? Because the same God that rules right now is going to rule then. Why do you think it's going to be better? See, in some sense, we have to believe at some point that God is able to do things right now. I mean, think about it from this perspective. When Jesus reaches out his hand to heal the leper, if he'd said, you know what, brother? I'll be there for you in about 40,000 years or 2,000 years or 10,000 years or whenever I get back. Have a good life. Sorry it stinks so bad right now. That's not what Jesus did. Now that's not to say that this guy's life was completely cured just because his leprosy was cured, but don't you understand that those places where Jesus puts his hands on people and you see them restored, hemorrhaging stops, leprosy goes away, legs are mended so people can walk, it's not so that we say, so the kingdom of heaven is about getting everything together so everything's perfect. No. But the reality is the kingdom does transform. It does begin to make a difference. There is real tangible realities to the kingdom breaking in on planet earth. 
And the most vivid expression of that was Jesus himself. In conclusion, I want us to consider this. Jesus came, we're told in the scriptures, as the image of God, as the true humanity. And what did he come and do? Well, this is what Jesus did. He, first of all, reflected God to us. To see Jesus, he tells us, was to see God himself. To look at Jesus was to behold the glory of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus didn't only reflect God to us, he represented God to us and did something even more profound, I think, than that, and that was to to represent us before God. Jesus actually stands in our place. He is God to us. When we look at Jesus, we say God, but when God looks at Jesus, he says man. See, Jesus stands and represents us in the gap. The third thing Jesus does for us is he relates to God for us even when we're not able to relate to God rightly. Jesus related perfectly, flawlessly. Now I want you to think about this in that idea of reflecting, representing, and relating. Jesus came to planet Earth to represent, to reflect, and to relate, and this is what human beings did to him. We abused him. We humiliated him. We murdered him. And he endured it all for what purpose? To restore us, to transform us, and to give us life. Because all we had was death. And if you can begin to see the image of God and what it's supposed to be like, And you can look to Christ and see that in every aspect that you fail, He has succeeded, then you have hope. Why? Because we're in Christ. The ultimate destiny of ours is not, did you succeed flawlessly, but rather, did you have a Savior who succeeded flawlessly, and do you believe in Him? Do you trust in Him? And that's the question, whether you're a believer or not. Do you trust in Jesus? And I leave that to you to say that Christ lays himself out today and says, Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will comfort you. I will bless you. May God make it so in our midst. Amen.